SQL Down Under is a podcast for professionals working in the SQL Server community. SQL Server is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions expressed during the podcast are individual opinions and may not reflect the opinions of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show number 29 with guest Richard Karchuk. Our guest today is Richard Kachuk, who's a senior program manager on the Microsoft SQL Server customer advisory team, or the SQL CAT team. He now works with customers on the most challenging analysis services applications due to size, user workload, calculation complexity, or whatever. Prior to joining the SQL CAT team, Richard was on the analysis services team, where he focused on the analysis services engine, with a special focus on the calculation and security models. Richard has been with Microsoft for the last eight years. He lives in Suamish, I presume you pronounce it, Washington, with his wife and four kids. Welcome, Richard. Thanks. That's Suamish. Suamish. Suamish? Yes. Excellent. Yes, I knew where it was. I just never knew how it was pronounced. That's good. Well, as we do with the old guests, I'll get you first up just to describe how on earth you come to be here and involved with SQL Server. Yeah, that is a bit of a long story. Um, I, I've been in the data warehousing um, business for, I, gosh, must be somewhere between 15, 20 years at this point. And um, before, long before I joined Microsoft, uh, I was uh, a consultant of the data warehousing space. And we were given an assignment um, that was just completely undoable. And somebody showed me uh, Excel working with, uh, at that time, one of the OLAP products. And my mouth just dropped. Uh, I, for, as a consultant for transaction systems for a long time, I'd, uh, we'd build the system. And then at the end of the assignment, the people say, well, now we'd like to have some information about the data that's in the system. And then we'd, you know, we'd haul out our order book and we'd say, well, that's going to cost you this, this, and this. And the, the, this, the, I immediately thought, well, this just makes that so, so much easier. So with a partner and I, we started our own business, and we did that for a couple of years. And then I did some work for um, Microsoft and then ultimately joined Microsoft working on analysis services. Yeah, I suppose at the stage you started then, that was fairly early days for uh, a data warehouse yeah, I, in general. It, it was. I, I can't claim to be there at the very beginning like some of the other people were. Uh, I, um, I joined Microsoft Shortly after they released their first beta of the um, what they call the Plato project, um, what ultimately turned into analysis services. But when I joined yeah. Microsoft, and all the, the the originals like Sasha, Amir, Moshe um, had been here for for a while. Yeah, that's good. And so your current roles with the SQL Cat team and or customer advisory team that is something we haven't really talked about on the show. So perhaps if you can just describe its role and. Uh where it fits in it's it's um it's a fascinating assignment um what the customer advisory team or the cat team does is um they were we have uh representatives of across sql server so these i know a little bit about the database engine and these guys are just amazing compared uh compared to me well 
doesn't take much, but these guys are just simply amazing technically and running the full gamut. And not only that, it's, um, we're all over the world. I'm, I'm based in the Redmond uh, at the headquarters, but we have people down in the Bay Area. We've got one person in Denmark. We have another person in the Philippines, another in Asia. And what we're looking for, uh, we're looking for customers that are working on the most challenging assignments that really stretch, um, stretch one or more aspects of the usage, and that we want to work with those people to, uh, to well help them avoid, you know, to help them make the project success. And also to, um, to take that experience and take it back to the product team and take those lessons learned and see what we can do to integrate them into the product. Yeah. And you've got, uh, it's not a huge team by the look of it, and, uh, but you have some pretty high quality people on the team. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, well, uh, these, it's it's when I'm talking with them, I know a little bit about analysis. Well, I know quite a bit about analysis services, uh, but these people are just uh, on the SQL engine, um, different aspects of replication of the different features of uh, the SQL Server product are just absolutely amazing. Uh, and they they've been there. They've been there with customers, doing the design with the uh, um, and learning the hard lessons and bringing them back. So it's it's a really enjoyable team to work with. Yeah. And in terms of things that go back to the product group from there, have you got any examples of anything where you've seen things that you've done flow back? It's um, the much of the work I'm doing is I'm taking the experience I have from the product team and, and working with customers, saying, "Oh, if, uh, when when they have a database of that size." Uh, um, these are the things you want to be worried about, the size of your partitions, uh, how many partitions you can have, for example. The stuff we take back are, it's the, um, it's, for example, in the calculations. We'll see some, um, some usage of calculations that we might not have expected um, people to do, and then the more common they are, the more uh, emphasis we'd want to put on them, uh, yeah. to making them perform well in the engine. Yeah, that's, that's good. The, so in amongst the the CAT team, and now pr- prior to that, you were in the analysis services team itself? Yes. And what sort of role in there, really? Well, I'm, I'm an engine guy. Uh, uh, the primary role I played was on the, the semantics of the calculations. Uh, MDX is to analysis services what SQL is to a database, to SQL server. Yeah. And what um, my job was is I... Well, as MDX evolves, how do we make sure it satisfies customer scenario, and how do we keep it as as you know as clean as it can be? Now, those people that know MDX will probably you know snickering of themselves because uh, it, it can be daunting. But if when you get into the finer aspects of the, uh, the calculation semantics, there are just some fascinating problems that are solved, and some ones that still need to be solved. With MDX that and some security, uh, also in the security yeah. aspect of it, the security model making, say, how does dimension security work? How does cell security, and how do these how do these things integrate with um, with uh, MDX and the rest of the engine? Yeah, in fact, that that's kind of an interesting thing. Just in general, with analysis services, given the fact that you're trying to uh, aggregate things where you can to keep the performance really high. You would think that granular security is almost uh, a direct opposite goal of that. I just wonder what your feeling is as to how the the trade-off works in that area. Well, 
On the, the two, that's a, that's a great question. There are two aspects of it. One is the first off, analysis services really has two separate security models, and it's important to distinguish them. One is cell security, where, for example, you couldn't see the value of a certain cell. For example, you couldn't see the combination of profit for North America, but you could see profit for Australia. Okay, that's yeah. cell security, and there, there are ways to get that set up. Then the other one is called dimension security, and that is we prohibit some users from even seeing any members of a dimension. So, for example, I could see USA and Canada, and um, but not Australia, and it would be as if the very member Australia, the country, didn't exist in the database. And there would be nothing I could do when looking at the analysis services cube to see whether that was there. Yeah. Now, for, for calculations, uh, we handle the dimension security actually very, very well. And that is handled in the um, much in the storage engine, and so the calculations are evaluated on, on on top of the records that we retrieve from the storage engine. Cell security is harder, and you do see some changes in performance in cell, um, with cell security uh, applied to a cube versus, say, dimension security or no security at all. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It, it, yeah, it does actually. And the uh, another one that kind of interests me on an allied area, of course, is. Uh, increasing amount of encryption being used in the transactional databases, and I wonder if down the track that has any impact on what can then be pulled out to put into analysis services. Is, is there any issue with an encryption? I suppose we the analysis services like um, uh, I would say like the little brother of the the database engine, and you see a lot of the features, and we'll talk about some of these um, uh, in the next few minutes. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things that the SQL Server engine has incorporated in itself is encryption. Uh, and, they've, uh, and actually, the ne this next release, um, I'm certainly no expert in it, but I know some of the aspects of encryption, that they've uh, made it even a richer, sub uh, a richer feature about yeah. being able to encrypt data and then uh, manage the keys inside or outside the engine. Analysis services, you know, we're at least a, a release behind there, yeah. that we don't offer um, the uh, mechanism to encrypt data uh, we don't offer a feature in the engine itself to encrypt the data. Yeah, because one of the things I find as uh, very interesting but I haven't yet seen widely deployed uh, has been the column-level security in SQL Server 2005. And the, the beauty to me is the idea that I can, using different certificates, I can encrypt particular columns and then when someone issues a select statement against the table, depending upon which certificates they have open at the time, they either see or don't see the data. And I think there's an inherent beauty in that because it means that the application doesn't have to then deal with that uh, as long as the identity is being uh, propagated down to the database level. And so the, whereas typically in an application you see endless code that says, if they're in this role, show them this, otherwise turn this off and, you know, all this sort of thing in, in the, uh, the, the next layers up. But there's kind of a beauty in being able to just issue a statement against the database and depending upon who you are, you see different data without actually modifying the, the statement at all. And the analysis, yeah, yeah, and analysis services has had something uh, you know, not the same, but related to that with the dimension security that I can mm. make, say, if you're a member of a role in my uh, my database, I can uh, I can configure things such that you don't even know that that 
what you think of as a column and I think of as, uh, uh, as a member yeah. um, even exists. Yeah, well, that's usually one of the other aspects of security, isn't it? It's the uh, stopping people being curious. It's the uh, you shouldn't even know something exists if you don't have access to it. Yeah, and the and, and now push that a little bit further. Analysis services, the concept of um, say advanced analysis services people will be know something about visual totals that we aggregate data very very well. But if we apply dimension security, what should the value you see for all countries be if you can only see a subset of those countries? Yes. And what we spent a lot of time on is thinking through um, these problems, and it gets even more interesting when you look at it multidimensionally. You can see some members of this dimension, some members of this, but not of this. You know, how do these things aggregate up properly? And that thing is just something that just works in analysis services. Yeah, that's great. Now, in terms of the maturity of the product itself, uh, it, we're now a few versions in, and it's kind of intrigues me that when I look back at the SQL Server product, the introduction of analysis services, I think, was a significant turning point in the product. I suspect, I might add, that the introduction of spatial data now could well be the same sort of turning point. But the, um, I'm just sort of thinking, in terms of where analysis services is, uh, where do you think it is on like a maturity curve at this point? Uh, you know, that, that is such a good question. <laughs> and And... And we could talk, I think we could talk for, uh, for an hour or two about just that topic. And, and uh, but let me start this way, is that it's just beginning on the, on the analysis side. Yeah. That when you, when you think of what people need to do to be able to derive meaning from their data, uh, it is, it is, it is up to the people in the industry to be able to offer those mechanisms and see what customers accept and what customers do not. So it is, on the analysis services side, it is so entrepreneurial in terms of you know, what, what is it that, what do we need to add so people can gather meaning from the data they have in, in their organization or even, you know, in the organizations, be they large or small. And there's so much you can do all the way up and down the stack from the engine and the features um, the features that um, you can provide. And then those features somehow have to be exposed in client applications and either via grids, via uh, visualizations. They're really, it's, it's something that has been is just booming for the last, last 10 years or so. And I, I really don't think there is an end in sight. It's a very exciting business to be in. So when you say the, the question of maturity, Analysis Services is uh, a mature product that has been through, what, the 7.0 release, the 2000 release, 2005 release, and the upcoming 2008 yeah. release. Um, but I, I, would, I would continue to look for innovations being added and being incorporated in the product as time going forward because there's just, there's just so much room to grow. Yeah. Now, I, I think in terms of the – when you talk about the user experience, I mean, most people have uh, started to become – familiar with pivot tables and things like that. But whenever I see visualization of a lot of these things, uh, it really comes down to either reporting or things that end up like pivot tables and so on. Do you think there's a, a big gap still in the how things get presented and or used by the users? Well, if you've um, seen the, the recent changes in um, Office 12, 
that um, we, Excel and Analysis Services have been healthy partners ever since the um, the first release of Analysis Services. In fact, I, I would I would look to that partnership as one of the reasons that Analysis Services has been successful. And one of the changes they've made um, is it's not just cube formulas, uh, not just pivot tables, but they've added something called cube formulas so that you can now, on a cell-by-cell basis, pull information from analysis services and merge it with data from other sources outside of the pivot table. Yeah. And so what you're going to see there is a, um, is a, uh, a, a richer look that people can apply uh, more formatting and pull data from a more diverse and have a, a richer set of the kinds of information they can present. The um, and we the we've been working and since the uh, Excel 12 has come out, we continue to work with the Excel team, and I've seen some more exciting things that will be coming out in subsequent releases as well. Yeah. One of the, but, one of the, but just go go back to the room for innovation. There's yeah. there's just no end um, uh, of the opportunity. You know, fortunately, we have a, a wonderfully uh, broadly used application like Excel where. Um, a little bit does go a long way because uh, it's also widely used. Yeah, indeed. Now, one of the things that uh, I had one of my colleagues um, referring to a little while ago, he was suggesting that it's when Microsoft start using the uh, the technologies in their own products that they tend to jump to another level of maturity or acceptance. And we're just starting to see some implementation of analysis services in a variety of Microsoft products like VSTS and uh, Visual Studio uh, Team Suite and so on. Um, what's your feeling as to why that's been slow to be rolled out in amongst other Microsoft products? Oh, that's you, you're just leading me, aren't you? Um, <laughs> well, we try. <laughs> Why don't those other people at Microsoft see the value in the products that you're working on? Oh, that's a great, <laughs> great question. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't, I can't really speak to that. Um, yeah. I, I know that Performance Point, for example, is, um, is, is taking off an office. And one of the reasons for that is, is a lot of the people that were on the analysis services team or, uh, worked on business intelligence and SQL Server are now working with uh, with uh, with Office directly, and we're growing people and they're disseminating through the company. And uh, the the value is the value of analysis services is being seen, and the the value to customers by incorporating some of the technologies is 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 being accepted. Now, yeah, other than that, for those who haven't incorporated, you know, you just have yeah. to, you know, put them on, give them their own podcast, and put them, <laughs> put them on. And say, why is it so? Yeah. No, well, I think it was kind of interesting to see, as I said, uh, Visual Studio Team Suite and so on with uh, uh, Team Foundation Server and so on, uh, now implementing yeah, a number of cubes and things and reports based on cubes and so on. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, And, yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting, the idea that the more that that happens... Uh, the more that you'll likely to then see third-party applications shrink-wrapped that include uh, analysis services. Because what I've, I've seen in the past, it tends to be uh, more custom and one-off implementations wherever I see analysis services deployed. And I wonder what's required to get to the point where more shrink-wrapped applications would likely take advantage of it. 
Well, those applications are out there. Mm. Um, and I, I've, I've worked with, with many, many of these vendors myself and, um, uh, to, to optimize the, the use of analysis services and applications. And, um, you know, there, there are, I, I, I don't have a number, yeah. um, but uh, companies like Infor um, uh, and, and uh, many, many, many others uh, have incorporated analysis services in, in, in either ad hoc um, client applications where you visualize the data or uh, vertical applications, for example, yeah. budgeting and planning applications. And we're, um, we're, we're also doing some of that work here at Microsoft and uh, uh it's it's uh, just more and more the the use of analysis service is growing with time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just the, um, the the sort of impression I get is if I go and buy the typical business application today, whatever that is, uh, and uh, it's it's very common that it'll have direct support for SQL Server, but dramatically less common that it will have uh, analysis services implemented. Well, let's not say dramatically. (laughs) Okay. um, SQL Server is, um, uh, analysis services is is part of SQL Server. There's always an interesting debate about um, what drives drives the business, and that's always entertaining to be part of and to listen to those debates. And it's uh, but one one uh, widely accepted fact is is that you know this is here to stay and it's a great business and there's um, there's a, a big opportunity to grow. Yeah, that's good. In terms of database size, uh, I presume now we're starting to see some very large systems. Uh, I'm wondering amongst the cat team, like what size databases are you starting to work with on that? Well, there, there are well two answers to that. One on the SQL Server side, which I really uh, I, I don't think I'm the person to ask that. I, yeah. I, I think it'd be great if you could have somebody else from the data engine um, yeah. and and ask them some of these interesting questions. Actually, Lubor's, Lubor's on the team, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, he, indeed. Yeah, he's he's he's, he's, he's coming on the show in a little while, so yeah, that's good. I'll okay, ask and, that. Uh, so and the, then the question is. Um, an analysis services. You know, how big um, is a UDM? How big? How much data can you put into uh, into a queue? And uh, there, the thing about analysis services is there are no hard and fast rules because if I give you one size, I'll say, but be careful about using this um, because yeah. uh, uh, of different uh, the the. The ways of different features combined, but I will say that if you have something that is um, fairly straightforward, you know, taking um, taking five terabytes of data from your relational engine, be it SQL Server or one of one of the our competitors, yeah. and putting that into analysis services is something that requires design, something that requires thought um, and some expertise, but is, is is not something that is daunting. Yeah. No, that's great. In fact, uh, one of the ones you mentioned were uh, having things from the competitors. Uh, an approach I see taken by many of the partners when they're dealing with existing uh, larger Oracle sites and things like that, uh, a good approach to get in the door is often to implement analysis services against Oracle or other products. So rather than threatening the core transactional business um, that's already there, it, it tends to often be a very, very good on-sell for people to get in there. And I, I gather at the moment that analysis services is probably one one of the best, if not the best, um, of the OLAP tools available to work against Oracle, uh, ironically. And I just wonder, with um, do you tend to come a lot of it, 
issues with things like data type compatibility and so on there, though? Because I imagine the cleansing of the data is always a challenge, but when you throw in another platform, you then have... Uh, well, every every database engine has their own peculiarities when it comes to whatever, um, how they handle dates, um, how they... Uh, how they handle different data types. And in analysis services, the way we handle that is we have um, a cartridge architecture where when we when analysis services builds the SQL it needs to send to an engine, it's, it's an abstract version of that. And then we have uh, different cartridges that uh, map to not only different databases, but um, types of providers, so types of drivers for those databases, because you even get some sync, uh, um, some eccentricities that creep in because this driver behaves differently than this driver. Yeah. Um, and so we have that abstract version, and then we've got these cartridges where, which are really just XS, um, XSL uh, documents that translate that abstract um, XML into the SQL rep, uh, the the actual SQL we send. So we have some flexibility to 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 do two things. One is just the simple mapping of um, Oracle does it this way, um, SQL does it that way, and Teradata, by the way, which we also support, does it this yeah. way. But we also have opportunities for some some optimizations, and we've taken advantage of that in some of the SQL Server um, SQL Server uh, cartridges, and not so much that I know of in some of the others. Yeah, that's good. Now the other thing that would be worth talking uh, in the second half of the show, we'll talk about uh, 2008 and what's coming. The before we get to the break, though, the other thing would be worth spending a few minutes on is just, I suppose, the most common mistakes you see people making when deploying analysis services or implementing it. The most common mistakes people make when they deploy analysis services. Um, uh, uh, um, now you, you've, you've put me a bit on the hot seat. I, uh, I, I would, I would say the um, some of the okay, the most common. I, it's not a mistake, but it's it's really where people are coming from, and that I see the types of calculations people do, um, mimicking what they used to do in in in, in with SQL, yeah, and with uh, relational, and. The the MDX is unfortunately close enough to SQL to be um, uh, to lull someone into a sense of complacency, <laughs> and so I, I I think the most common mistake I see is um, is a uh, uh, the not getting the very the concept of uh, place that MDX have that MDX is very bound to every cell in a cube has a coordinate in every hierarchy and you also have a position, you've got a parent, you've got a previous member, a next member, you have children and how to how that can be exploited. And so I, I so the thing the most common mistake is is climbing that learning curve uh, of MDX to really make an application sing and make it perform. Yeah. That, that's one thing, and the, uh, I, I think that's by far the most I'd say. The other things I've seen are many-to-many -many dimensions, which is a, a mm -hmm. wonderful feature and gives you some um, some great analytic capabilities, um, but it can be abused. And when, we, when things grow beyond a certain size, um, the way we do a, a join at query time, the performance can slow down. And you, there are mechanisms to optimize those, 
and there are some um, some blogs and I think an upcoming white paper that we're publishing about how how to how to resolve that. Yeah. Okay, but yeah, so and I mean that's a very common uh, modeling requirement is normally some sort of many-to-many relationship. Um. Y- uh, y- yes. Um, the the most common one we see is uh, you have sales by customer, and a customer can. Um, for example, belong to multiple demographics, and you want to see the data by demographics. Now, how how do you show that? Yeah, so and how do how we, do you aggregate values as well? Right, and so what we do is we we show it by demographic. So when we aggregate it, we do something like a, a distinct sum that we don't double up. You know that as data meets, it uh, reconciles and it does not uh, it does not aggregate itself more than once. Yeah, in fact, yeah, that's a, a thing worth sort of dwelling on for a moment. That's right. It's the customer is in multiple locations when we view it by location we we no longer can just add up the locations to get the total because that's right somebody could be in multiple yeah you know and and as we're talking other things are coming to mind Um, aggregation design is also a um, uh, a a common issue particularly in a world of say a thousand attributes in the cube and there are properties that you can tag attributes which about how they participate how they participate in aggregations and how you can use the aggregation designer and how you can use um, some sample. There's a sample application on Coplex on aggregation designer as well yeah. um, to, to, to use and then usage analysis statistics to use to design aggregations. That's also a common area where people need to, people need to work. Yeah. Anything with time dimensions? Uh, any common errors there? Um, I, uh, it's... The um, in in terms of how they can be misused, yeah, or or things that you see people doing probably not the way you'd prefer. The the uh, well, I would say that we've made some great work in calculation performance for mm. common um, time calculations that didn't perform as well in 2005 as they in 2008 just sing. So the yeah. the the people the the issues that people run into. Um, they might be pleasantly surprised, and we'll talk a bit about that. Yeah. The one one thing I do see is that people can have uh, typically multiple calendars, and and we're gonna we're gonna get technical here for a bit. Yeah, and that's so all right. Pull me up, pull me up if I take you down too too deep. Is that every attribute can have a default member, and typically we see that uh, a year attribute. The default member is the current year, the latest year for which there's data. Yeah. And then somebody can have uh, a fiscal calendar and then do something similar. And what can happen is that the default members inter- interact in unpleasant ways, is that you slice on a particular month of uh, fiscal year, and now that clobbers, that clobbers the default member on the fiscal year yeah, but it doesn't do anything because of typical attribute relationships to the default member on the calendar year, and then all of a sudden you're seeing a half or a quarter of the data you would expect. So the setting up of in, in time among time dimensions, setting up of uh, default members is something that can be a little tricky. Yeah, and the other ones, I suppose, partitioning. Um, any particular? Uh, lessons or ideas in terms of how data would be partitioned? We, 
There's let me let me plug a performance white paper that was um, produced I think about a year over a year ago now that a number of us um, contributed to and the 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 author just did a, uh, just a bang up job and so a lot of the things I'm I'm going to say are are, are documented are documented yeah. in that some um, in that white paper. Now the the partitions the, the, the when you're looking at partitions the the number of partitions is 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 important and typically what we see is you know, you're okay on the order of um, a thousand or so partitions and then when people start really scaling up the, the that can become a problem in the UI um, about when we iterate over the metadata things can things can slow yeah. down so you want to be cautious of that. And then there are some um, the recommendations of the row count in a partition, and I've got a number in my mind, but I don't want to blurt out something that's yeah. inaccurate. So, <laughs> okay. but we do have some recommendations about how big um, uh, a partition, how many rows of data you should squeeze into a partition. Yeah. And then there's one more thing that that is uh, is interesting is how partitions work with uh, distinct count measures, and that you need some some extra thinking. And what we recommend is that the the column you bind a distinct count measure to should uh, have none overlapping uh, values in each of the partitions yeah. that they're contained in. Now that might sound um, say can you say that five or six times so I understand it. <laughs> um, we we are there. There is a white paper on um, being put out in the next month or so um, on exactly this about how you should um, how you should model how you should define your partitions for distinct count. Yeah. In the meantime, if somebody has a question about it, if you can put it in the news group, and I'll try to keep an eye out for it and answer answer the question. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, Richard, that's probably a good moment to take a break, and then when we come back, we'll discuss what's coming in 2008. Okay. Terrific. As well as community resources such as this podcast, SQL Down Under offer mentoring services and both private and public training options. If you need to get your project back on track, or if you need to get it off to a good start, why not give us a call? We have also recently introduced a series of online courses available in both Asia-Pacific and US-UK time zones. In particular, the first course that's offered in this series is Query Performance Tuning. You'll find details at www.sqldownunder.com. Welcome back from the break. Uh, So, Richard, life outside SQL Server, uh, is there one? Well, yeah, um, I, I've, I've got four kids, so they keep me busy, and they're aged from six to uh, seventeen. And so that that that's, we do things like um, just last weekend, I took the young ones, um, the six and eight year old, out snowboarding. So that's kind of fun and trying at, at the same time. And at least with Seattle, you're not far from being able to do that, too. So. No, in fact, it's wonderful. We are a something a 40-minute drive uh, from where I live to uh, yeah. the mountain. It's, you know, it's a it's a modest mountain if somebody lives uh, close to Banff, but it's a wonderful, wonderful place to snowboard. Yeah, that's got any particular interests of your own, or do the, the you know, this, this family and the kids sound- take up your whole life? Yeah. 
No, this is going to sound trite, um, but <laughs> I, I just I just love this stuff. You know, the okay. the, the problems of uh, of working with data is just fun. Yeah, uh, and um, and for the people who uh, listen to the podcast to to this point, listening to me, that I'm, I'm hoping that you know they they're into it the same way, and they 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 understand this. Richard's just not another um, a data geek. <laughs> no, indeed. Look, it, it's one of the things I often say. Uh, one of the best things in life is if you can work in your hobby. Uh, or and so there's always a bit of a blur between what's really work and what's. Uh, your own interests. I suppose that, that where I have a dividing line myself is between things I have to do and things I'd like to do. <laughs> so, are there areas you'd like to pursue that you don't get a chance to as yet? Well, it's, it, there's well, absolutely, and in, in all of our work, there's you know there's that that piece of it that you just have to do. It's just it's just the administrative yeah. stuff that needs to be done. And then there's the you know, these problem. I, this afternoon, for example, I was looking at a query that just took forever, and tweak, 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 and got it down to, oh gosh, something less than a hundredth of the time uh, time it ran. And there's some real gratification I get of doing things like that. Yes. And then the you know the the, the actually a sweet the next point point I'm looking forward to is pointing it out to the devs and saying why wasn't this done automatically? <laughs> why did I need to figure out how to do it? In fact, I, I love that. With, with SQL Server, the uh, people often look at the low-level work I tend to do a bit, and performance tuning is really gratifying. I, I find the, the .NET guys at the upper levels, they can tweak all they like, and, and they might get a 5% change. And uh, working at the bottom end, you, you can often have dramatic effects. Well, that, that's true, and um, this this is probably a, a great place to segue into some of the changes we did in, in oh, yes. 2008 with the calculation engine, and it actually relates to the my experiences this afternoon. And I, I'm going to describe a, uh, a naive approach, and I'm going to make it um, uh, be exaggerate purposely for the the benefit of making it a point. Yeah. But while I'm doing this, don't you know, don't roll your eyes and think, oh, how could you have been so stupid? Because we really weren't. But mm. say say that um, you you ask for a, um, a, a a cell set, which is cell sets to analysis services, or what row sets are to um, the, the relational world. Yeah. And um, say you've got a um, say a, uh, some complex calculation. The calculation could be as simple as the ratio of two numbers. Or it could be something that's a little bit more sophisticated. It could say, you know, take the value from the last year um, and then take the number of employees I have for this year. Now project that down to the, the number of employees I have and then aggregate it back up um, at it, multiplying by this factor that you'll find over somewhere else in the cube. So my point here is just that calculations can be from simple to enormously complicated. Yeah. And those calculations can extend over an enormous space. The theoretical space of a cube is literally unimaginable. It's just enormous. And so one approach to doing a calculation is that, okay, this is the data the person's asked for. Um, here, I'm going to evaluate that first cell. I'm going to do the... I'm going to do the navigation from one member to maybe the parent or the ancestors or the parallel period, and then I'm going to get that data. I do everything, then I move on to the next cell. Then I move on to the next cell. And then I move on to the next cell. And there there, there are a couple things about this approach that aren't good. One is that cubes are generally very sparse. That is, 
in the theoretical space of that cube, um, the theoretical in that theoretical space of that cube, the actual space that are populated by cells um, uh, is actually very small. So one of the things that we need to do is that when you ask for certain values, we want to be able to ignore that null space. Um, that we want to be able to ignore that null space uh, wherever we can. And we have some techniques for doing that in, in 2005 and earlier versions. Uh, some, some advanced listeners will probably be familiar with the non-empty behavior property they can give to calculations. But there are some times where you just can't give it that property. Uh, running some calculations are typically difficult to assign a non-empty behavior. So that's one problem. The, the other problem is, is that you're repeating the same navigation again and again and again. Uh, for one cell, you're going to go to um, the descendant of a current member, and that member is probably not going to change. Um, the members don't change a lot over that cell set, and you're repeating that same navigation. So what we've done, well, what the developers did is, is we moved more towards what we're calling a subspace computing model, is that yeah. uh, more like SQL Server, we're building uh, an execution plan, then we uh, we deduce all the we do the navigations in the outer loop. It's not by cell by cell by cell. We'll do it once, and then the outer loop, like pulling something from an inner loop to an outer loop, and then we figure out all the information we need to gather from the storage engine. We'll retrieve just that data, and then we do. Now this is subtle but important. Then instead of doing um, iterating over the cell set and figuring uh, and figuring out a result for each cell, we apply the calculations only to the data we retrieve. Yeah. And this can be orders of magnitude less. And I've seen some some cases of uh, you know, simple queries improving by an order of magnitude, running some calculations, um, yeah. aggregating from least cells. Now, I don't want to overpromise. Um, so what we're gathering now prior to the release is what we want to be able to say um, are for a typical user, um, for a calculation-intensive cube, we expect um, we expect this performance change. That this percentage of your queries will be this percentage better. And be careful for these types of calculations where you want to monitor, make sure you don't see any performance regression. But for the most part, we 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 we'd like to see, and we are seeing some some fairly significant performance improvements. Yeah, that I must admit that doesn't surprise me. It's it's ironic, uh, sort of talking about that one because even in an OLTP world. Uh, I find the same approach off, often bears fruit when the the thing that you're looking for is kind of sparse. And the uh, I had a really good example of that in a performance tuning job I was doing a week or so ago where uh, they had a query that was sort of populating a whole uh, lot of details from one table into what was actually a temporary table. But on each row that they were uh, inserting, they had a sub uh, query where they were going off looking to see if there was a, a matching row in another table. But the irony was that the, that the number of rows in the main table that they were selecting from was huge. The number of rows that ever existed in this secondary table was incredibly tiny. And so instead of doing that, they were much better off to just put the first table in and then separately process the few rows that were in the other table. And uh, it, again, it was a dramatic change in performance, but it was because you're fo- instead of endlessly focusing on the empty space, you're focusing just on the rows that are there. Hmm. Yeah, and so there are some 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 techniques, um, some techniques you can apply. But what we'd like to do is um, 
uh, uh, just make it just work though, so the engine can optimize away uh, um, some of the things that people might do inadvertently. And also, you know, let me sort of give you a little bit of a whiplash about back to one of the questions you asked me: about What do people, the people, common mistake people make? Well, one common mistake I see is that they'll take a calculated member and um, they'll add zero to it because people like to see zeros. Now, yeah. what that does is it makes that cube, what used to be sparse, it's now dense, it's filled with zeros. Yeah. Now, we can do some optimization for default values other than null, and you know we, we, we do, but typically don't do that. Um, if, if people want to see zeros, do it with formatting in some, some way, but adding zero to the value of all cells is, um, is, is, is going to hurt performance. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's great advice. The, I suppose then, heading through the things that have changed in this version in terms of analysis services, now you mentioned in passing there the, the way the execution plans and things are dealt with differently. Now I gather there are, I haven't looked yet, but I gather there are things that expose more of that information. Uh, well, you've hit on you hit on a rather sensitive topic. That is still a matter of some some um, disagreement here. We, we oh. have a new a new API, which um, which can be used to expose, which we use to tell us what the engine's up to. Yeah. And we've got some you know an internal application um, that um, shows a graphical representation of, of query plan and, and but the the thing is is that we're at this point we're not planning on uh, on producing anything um, publicly for 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 a couple of good reasons that I hope people understand mm. the first one is it's a new API and we're going to change it we know we're going to change it we changed it we changed it a ton of times through the development life cycle because we came across things, oh, we want to know that oh we didn't uh, we we're going to break this and we're going to add that and so we're we're certain that any application we build on top of it, we're just going to shatter in the next release. And so, yeah. so we're worried about that. And then you can say, well, what about a sample application? Well, customers generally you know, are, are ambivalent about sample applications. And they, they, the reaction I get from them, you know, if it's worth a sample, why didn't you just put it into the product? And so some people are of one mind, other people are of another mind, and then we've got people um, chiming in from the, the, our customer community. And so this is still, you know, this is still out there about what we want to do with analysis services execution. Plan. Yeah. Okay. Now the designers seem to have had a big shot in the arm in this version. Well, I'm an engine guy, and so um, the, the people the people that work on tools are likely going to shoot me. Uh, <laughs> but but what I can say is um, they've done some some great things with with uh, tips in the application. I won't even say tips. The tips is too condescending. Uh, design suggestions. I was going to say I've these, heard them referred to as squigglies. Yes, well, <laughs> and, 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 it, and it's just wonderful. Um, you know, I'll give you an example of, of just how it helped me out in um, in a bit. But when you're designing a cube, there are you know there are umpteen uh, you know there are performance white papers we put out. There are blogs that various members of uh, the team and gosh um, and people outside the team, but ex uh, but serious experts in the product. And well, you know, there's, there's all that fragmented information. And what the tools guys did was they pulled that into the product. And whenever you violate one of these um, uh, design suggestions, they they, yeah, they do it in one of those little squigglies. 
Yeah. And and it's 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 an in your face thing. So have you thought about this? Now, if you're smarter than um, than the design suggestions, say, yeah, you know about it and you did it for a reason. There's a great mechanism to do away with it, so you don't have to live with these warnings all your project life's long. Mm. And you can say, yeah, 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 I know. I hear but, you. But, I know. But, yeah. yeah, but for example, I'm I'm building. I'm working on a. Um, uh, a molap rollap comparison thing that I hope to publish in a couple of months. And I was building my cube, and I was playing around. I think it was yesterday, and I said, you know, what's the impact on on rollap if I turn off a reference dimension? So I did, and I played around, and I forgot about it. And so this morning, you know, there it was. I say, oh, I forgot to re, uh, I forgot to materialize that reference dimension that that I had unmaterialized the day before. So I was like, wow, Excellent. that's just great. Yeah. In fact, for those that haven't seen it, I suppose we should mention when we say squiggly, it's the uh, like little uh, squiggly underlines that appear in Word for spelling mistakes or uh, in Visual Studio for syntax errors, that sort of thing. So. Yes. Yes. And, and so, so they're, example, they're trying to suggest many, what you should have done. Yeah. Yes. And if you have many, many dimension, for example, under the um, where it's bound to the fact table, there will be a little squiggly if the count of members uh, exceeds, I think it is one million members, it's saying. We recommend that many to many dimensions that the number of members in the intermediate dimension measure group be less than a million members. And so, you know, really nice things, really concrete things like that. Yes, I, I remember recently hearing someone uh, half joking about uh, the fact they were pointing the new tools at the older samples and, uh, and intrigued at the number of things that pop up. So. Yeah, <laughs> <Not too many. laughs> that's rewriting history. Yes, unfortunately. So yeah, so subspace calculations are a big deal. Um, the changes in MOLAP write back as well. Yes, yes. The um, uh, this this is this is fascinating. So the way write write back works in 2005 and earlier is that when you write back to a cell. Um, well, what we need to know is uh, what's the current value of that cell? What is the current value of all the cells that contribute to that cell at the leaf level? And then we figure out a delta um, that, well, to make the value, and that's the cell you're writing back to, the value you want it to be, we figure out the um, an increment we need to add to each of those contributing cells, and then we write that back to the write-back table. Follow me? Yep, and is that done in proportion of the Well, it can be done. It can be done absolutely. It can be done in proportion. We've got a bunch of different mechanisms. Um, they, the, the update statement has um, right back absolute value, the absolute value or related to some, uh, to some devalue of some other measure. So you, you've a lot of flexibility there. But nonetheless, um, and, and you can optimize it so to reduce the number of cells, but nonetheless, you're taking um, uh, the the cells that contribute to a value can be well you can have a lot of them. Yeah. So so you're taking a performance hit in two places. One is uh, uh, figuring out to figure out the current value of the cell. You've got to go to that right back table, read the contents of it to see what contributes to that cell. Yeah. Okay. The second thing you need to do is that once you figure out um, the 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 increment value. Then you've got to um, do an update to that relational table inside mm. a transaction. That can take a lot of time. You might be yeah. updating thousands and thousands or even more uh, uh, rows um, in that write-back table. Yeah, that's right. It could look like a single value, but that's right. The 
the things that went to make up that single value could be huge. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, browse your write back table and application. In fact, one of the things uh, we I, I heard from people that we're not that familiar with how write back works is in the in the food mart uh, and they'd write enable the food mart sample that went out with 2000 and they'd put in a, a value an absolute value of the top cell. And we'd break that down into, I don't know, how many millions of records and do the right yeah. back, and they'd complain, hey, it's taking too long. Well, <laughs> if, if you take a look at what's going on under the covers, you know, it's it's not unreasonable. Yeah. Okay, but, but the change we made is we we will keep the right back, um, will allow you to keep the right backs in a MOLAP partition. So this, this has, um, so the way a right back will work now is, to read a cell, you'll get the MOLAP performance you expect. So you're not going to take that hit of reading from your write back table. That's, yeah. that, that's, that, that is, uh, will be a huge improvement, not only for write back, but for querying, uh, cubes that are write back enabled. Mm. Then the, what we do is when you do the update, we will, uh, we still do the write back to the, um, to the relational table. And at the same time, in parallel, we're taking that data and we're updating that MOLAP. Uh, we're updating that MOLAP partition. Yeah. So what? And so it's 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 virtually impossible to tell you what kind of performance benefits you're going to see. But what we see in terms of querying a um, uh, when you query uh, a cube with right back enabled uh, three times, I think was what we saw in the test lab with uh, uh, with our sample cube. Yeah. Three times better performance. Now. You mentioned that um, you're saying the query plan equivalents might not surface. Um, what about the equivalent of, I uh, saw mention of equivalent of DMVs or dynamic management views, which were session resources or something like that, was the wording they were using, where something like that was exposed? Um you know that's a good question, and I, 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 I think I'll give you a short answer and a long answer. And the short mm. answer is I don't know. Okay. And the longer answer is I don't know because what I've seen in the documentation model is that um, um, that it's 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 pretty sparsely documented. Yeah. I know the program manager who owns the feature is is anxious to um, get as much out there as possible because there's just some killer information. Um, that you can get from the uh, you can get from the new schema row sets yeah. um, that was not available before, and you can get get a deeper uh, understanding of the information that uh, of who's connected to your cube, a cube, who's been, uh, how long they've been there, the locks that are on the database, and such. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I must admit, in in 2005, with the OLTP equivalent with the DMVs and DMFs, the uh, I must admit I find them incredibly powerful, but as powerful as they are, I also find them still quite underutilized. I think people are still discovering uh, what's there. And I think it was just simply that there were so many of them added with such a view into the product. Uh, it, it, it takes a little while for people to get their head around just exactly what's in there. Are you talking about the, the SQL DMVs? Yeah, the SQL or DMVs. The, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yes. In that case, yeah. The, when they were added, I think it, it, uh, it, it gave a wonderful insight into what's going on. But but again, it takes a little while for people to to build that into how they work. So, I think one of the the things I really like most, though, is that instead of executing a system stored proc to then get back one or more sets of rows, the idea of having it in a relational form in the first place that you could uh, run a query against or something is excellent. Well, that's the the choice that analysis services took as well. That these 
And we've long had the concept of uh, schema row sets, and we support yeah. SQL-like queries uh, against it. We have uh, a sub Nelson Services does support a subset of the SQL syntax, and you can you can do um, SQL-like queries uh, against our DMVs to get the information you want about the cube. Yeah. And so other things you think are notable at all? Um, well, the one thing I'm services? really excited about, yes, yeah, the thing I'm really excited about is the, the shared scalable database is that mm-hmm. what you can now do is get multiple um, uh, um, read-only versions of your database and put them on a SAN and mount uh, a, point, mount a, uh, a logical drive and point analysis services to the read-only databases for a scalable solution. Now, there were ways to to you know, sort of hack away and get this done in in prior um, in, in 2005, but it is now we're giving you the building blocks uh, uh, to do it in 2008. Now, so I'm looking forward to that as as a, a great mechanism to scale out in large among large number of users. That you get your database and you've got lots and lots of users and you. You can now get multiple cubes, um, uh, multiple versions, multiple cubes on the SAN, point multiple servers to them, and then uh, manage the interaction between. There's some work you're going to have to do, um, but yeah. we should be able to see uh, application scale far beyond what they did earlier. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really wanting to see how that works. That's good. And so, look, from here, so what have you got coming up in your future, and uh, where might people see you at all, or if anywhere, any conferences? Well, it's. Um, I, I try to get to as many of the tech ads um, as I can, uh, and some of the and the in the uh, in the internal presentations we have to to Microsoft people. Yeah. I would you know if if the you uh, if you know of an application that is just fascinating, I'd I'd love to know about it. Um, we have a program that um, if you're worried about um, uh, some aspect of uh, 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 your data warehousing, including analysis services, and you think that um, um, it, would, uh, uh, it, it challenges the design, design constraints, I'd love to hear more about it, and maybe we can, uh, maybe we can talk. Indeed. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time today, Richard. It's been quite fascinating. Oh, it's been interesting. Thanks for having me. (laughs) That's great. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now.